and welcome to another episode of Chillin' in the State House poll show. We are the front runner for the chillest State House podcast around. I am Andrew Ball, one half of the Chillin' in the State House ticket, or the ticket of state government reporters at the Topeka Capital Journal. And I'm joined by my running mate, Jason Tidd. Jason, how are you, sir? I just want to make this podcast the best one to listen to while you live, work, or raise your family. <laughs> In Kansas, specifically. In Kansas. If yes. you're in Missouri, eh. well, you should still listen to us. Yeah, we don't. Yes, we, yes. we care less about the politics of your state, and we are joined by. Well, I guess if we're the ticket, I don't know what. What that I, makes you? I campaign guess manager? campaign manager, or maybe I'm the equivalent, the state house equivalent of the attorney general nominee. I don't know. Outside political consultant. Outside yes. consultant. Uh, John Hanna, the Associated Press. Thank you, Andrew. Good Glad to have, to be good to have here. you back, yes. Well, you noticed that we uh, flipped a switch from the last time we were on the air, from talking about the legislature to talking about elections, and that's because Kansas politics has flipped the switch from the legislature and uh, uh, a policy debate, if we can call it that, to definitely being now firmly in the thicket of campaign season, and we got some some... Uh, interesting news, I think, to, to break down as we move into the election uh, election season. Derek Schmidt, the presumptive Republican uh, front runner, or the presumptive nominee. Republican nominee uh, in the gubernatorial race, running against incumbent Democrat uh, Governor Laura Kelly. Uh, Derek Schmidt announced his running mate, and it was not Jason. He's my running mate. He's taken. But Jason, who did he who did he go with? He went with Katie Sawyer. She is currently a uh, staffer for Senator Roger Marshall. Uh, she is the state director, so does a lot of constituent services, organizes town halls, a lot of the behind the scenes stuff. Maybe if you are a local government employee or a local farm bureau member or something like that, you you've probably you might have met her, but she wouldn't be somebody who was as visual of a political figure. Well, and, and what's interesting about that, there are a couple of things that are interesting about that pick. First of all, she's 38, which is relatively young for uh, a candidate for governor or lieutenant governor, she's, although... She's a heartbeat away from the governor. Yes, Although I would note that I think Tom Docking back in 1982 was in his early 30s, and lest we not forget, Samuel Crawford, the third governor of the state of Kansas, in 1864 was elected at the age of 29. He was in the Union Army at the time, and I'm betting the uniform had something to do with that. So, so let, you could let, say that let, that, let it, let it be known that two of the three people on this podcast are too young to be governor. If that historical record is the standard we go right, by, wait, wait, remind me what age they set for that. Is it is it thirty or is I, it twenty five? Yeah, I thought you just had to be a voting age. No, I think they set an age for it uh, after all those kids ran in twenty eighteen. I believe they set it at. We're, we're going to have to do a Google search. 
Uh, you know, it's been a long week. We're gonna fire. We're gonna fire up the Al Gore machine. The, the Al Gore machine, yes. The fancy. He's got his phone out, folks, and he's looking. This well, is, this is riveting the, audio. The other, the other thing that is interesting about Katie Sawyer is that she uh, has worked for Roger Marshall throughout his tenure, both in Congress and as a U.S. Senator. He was elected to the Senate in 2020. And her job is also one of those jobs where you're out there and you're getting raw political intelligence in terms of people are writing, emailing, calling the office with their problems and concerns and you know, if they want to sound off and, you know, part of the job here is to help people interface face with the uh, with the federal government. It also allows you to get some idea if some kind of problem is developing that even even before maybe most people, most elected officials hear about it. And uh, Derek Schmidt said that she will be a key advisor, and he specifically mentioned the idea that she's going to be out there um, collecting information about Kansans' views on things. So it sounds like his conception of her role, at least going forward in the short term, is that she's going to help him not get burned by some surprising or unexpected issue. And she's no novice to politics and public service, but that doesn't mean that she has ever, I mean, she hasn't been the face of a political campaign before or a candidate for a public office. Well, and that's that that is that is a special skill set. Um, being able to speak in front of groups, being able to rouse a crowd, um, being able to go in and shake hands and you know do the do the glad handling how do how do yeah, how you doing Schmidt I'm fine is, you know D- Derek Schmidt is yeah he's got enough of that for both that. of them yeah. probably I mean he's very personable I guess when you see him work a room it's this real friendly you know shaking hands it, how do how do how are you doing yeah it comes naturally well and and I think a couple points first off 25 years of age and the attorney general has to have a law license, active law license in the state of Kansas. That was the thank the, you, Andrew. Signed into law by Jeff Collier. Um, I think a couple points. First off, it adds gender balance to the ticket. Important uh, yeah. because his opponent, a presumptive opponent, uh, Governor Laura Kelly, Lieutenant Governor David Toland, there is gender balance there. Well, obviously. and and really, look, the Republican Party in Kansas is diverse enough. There are enough women leaders in the Republican Party that, you know, I think it's an open question whether the days of two white guys on the ticket are are still with us. Well, and, and to the point that Jason made, she's not a politician, but a lot of the other names we heard rumored uh, were were legislators, for instance. And it, it the selection of, of Katie Sawyer has been described to me kind of as a do-no-harm choice. If you pick a legislator who has an extensive record of floor debates, of advocating for certain issues, there is a certain baggage that comes with that. There are obviously benefits as well, but you know she's not necessarily the pick, at least on, on the face of it all, that is going to have a lot of things that Schmidt is now going to have to defend being associated with. Well, she's, she's been in politics, okay, but she's not... She doesn't have a voting record that can be 
criticized by um, by the Democrats. Now, you know, they tried at a news conference after her selection to link her to Sam Brownback, um, and that's a discussion you all can weigh in on if you want. But and I, it was interesting because they didn't. How much did they mention Roger Marshall at that news conference? It wasn't really until we asked them about, you know, you keep bringing up Brownback, but she didn't work for Brownback. She worked for Roger Marshall. Well, and and the problem with, I guess, attacking Roger Marshall is that presumably he's still pretty popular, especially in western Kansas. He won that Senate race by, I think, 11 percentage points. I I, I think the quote was from Representative Susan Ruiz was, Essentially, Roger Marshall is an embarrassment to the state, so she must be okay with embarrassment. But as you pointed out, Roger Marshall won pretty handily, so I'm not sure that argument uh, would necessarily sway very many voters. Well, especially not Republican voters, probably. Well, and I think now we're kind of we, we can we're moving into a bit of kind of the the landscape of the race because the the attack on Schmidt has been from the beginning from Democrats that he has these ties to Brownback. Some of that's tenuous, but I think clearly they are reading the room and still think that this kind of strategy worked in 2018 and it will work again, given how unpopular Brownback was when he left office. I mean, when, when I asked Brown, I, when I asked Schmidt about these attacks, uh, trying to link him and Katie Sawyer with uh, Brownback and with Marshall, Schmidt's response was, you know, Democrats want to run against somebody who isn't in the race. They're, yeah, we're looking at the future, not the past, I think is also what he said. Yeah, they're trying to uh, run against somebody else's record who is not running for governor. They're not running against Derek Schmidt's record. Well, to be fair to the Democrats, there are certain ideas in the Republican canon, and it's true, too, for the Democrats. I don't mean to imply that only Republicans have the, have this characteristic, but there are ideas in the Republican canon that don't go away no matter who is the candidate. Um, you know, uh, obviously, um, there's going to be some play, some discussion of making Kansas, you know, more anti-abortion. I think Chris Kobach, when he uh, filed, he said he wants to make Kansas the most, quote, pro-life state, unquote, in the nation. Well, I mean, it will be interesting to see what that entails, because, of course, Oklahoma has banned abortion. Um, And a bunch of, uh, at least a dozen other states have trigger laws that will do that. So how do you make Kansas the most anti-abortion state in the country in that climate? That's going to be an interesting question. So there's always some interest in in opposing abortion, going further in restricting abortion. That's always a Republican thing. Tax cuts. I mean, he mentioned some kind of middle-class tax cut. It will be interesting to see the details of that. And then, you know, this day and age, you have to talk about parental rights and education, critical race theory, and uh, obviously the transgender athletes bill, he said he would sign it. And Schmidt told me that he does plan to come out with some more campaign planks about what he'd like to do if he is elected governor. Uh, He 
wasn't forthcoming on what those are. He said, you know, there's still 160 days or so left in this campaign, so there's plenty of time to roll those out over time. Well, and of course, you know, you're looking at the underlying ground conditions going into the this race and toward the fall campaign. You know, right now we're seeing inflation as high as it's been since the early 1980s. Gas prices are way up above $4 a gallon in Topeka, as high as, I think in some places they're 5 or even approaching $6 a gallon. And so there's some... Un- disquiet over the economy um joe biden's popularity the president's popularity has declined he's a democrat and over the past 30 years uh republicans in kansas have loved to run against democratic presidents well i think you know you can make the argument i think uh, some consultants made this argument to me that you know laura kelly could run a perfect campaign and just because of the political headwinds Mm -hmm. still lose and there's just and not she's much not, room she's for not error. the only democratic governor in that boat i mean you look at for example tony evers in wisconsin he just barely beat scott walker in 2018 and while democrats are I, while republicans are going to do their best to tie kelly to the biden administration kelly has done several things over the past year to distance herself from biden's stances uh, vaccine mandates for example sure but you know a republican is going to ask and, and this is a traditional thing republicans will do in a race like this why do you want somebody who opposes the democratic president you know, occasionally when you can get somebody who's who's going to oppose them like every day, um, you know, that that would be the argument, I think. You're, and I'm, I'm almost certain you'll hear that argument later in the campaign. And to demonstrate the lengths that Democrats have gone to to tie Schmidt and Sawyer to Brownback, there was this quote that Sawyer used that live work and raise a family yeah, make what, kansas the best place to live work and raise a family which was a common refrain during the brownback yes years. he put it literally probably if they issued a hundred thousand press releases that phrase was probably in ninety nine thousand of them and democrats seized on that to say see she is using the same slogan as brownback uh the problem with that is Brownback wasn't the only politician in Kansas to use that slogan. We had the Democrat, the Kansas Democratic Party executive director using it in 2010 to try to say Brownback wouldn't be somebody who would make Kansas a place you want to live, work, and raise a family. We have a Kansas House Democratic member, Lindsey Vaughn in Overland Park, who has that slogan featured prominently on her website. And guess who else? The <laughs> governor of Kansas, Laura Kelly, used that phrase in a news release the day after Democrats were it, it, upset by the phrase. It just proves that uh, politics is like vaudeville in the sense that everybody steals each other's material. Um, uh, good writers borrow from other writers. Great writers steal out. Yes, right? indeed. And good politicians steal slogans from each other, but then blame None of it's copyrighted, okay? Well, I think 
to me, this this whole saga gets at the I guess you could call it either the absurdity, the comedy, or the tragedy of of what this campaign will be. I mean, this will be a hotly contested race. Both yes. Democrats and Republicans at the national level have said Kansas is one of their top three states because Republicans, it's a state Donald Trump won, the only state that there's a Democratic governor up in this year that Donald in a state Donald Trump won. And for Democrats, it is a, a crown jewel for that exact reason, a rare success in a uh, yes. consistently red state. Well, and, and, and so, but that when you when you have these uh, this much mo- outside uh, money flowing in and outside groups getting involved, you're going to get hung up on some really, really, when, really well, when you're when you're trying <laughs> dumb when things. The battle here is going to be over the moderate Republican and independent voters that small slice of the electorate in November that hasn't made, doesn't make up its mind until right toward the end. And those folks, by and large, are probably going to re- lean much more Republican than Democratic. But all, but all of Kelly's decisions really in the last, I don't know, year, year and a half have been targeted right, at, exactly. at winning them over. But, but the question is, if, if you're running a campaign or a, a group that's involved, you know, we can sit here and talk about, well, that's not much or that's pretty silly, but, you know, does it get you a hundred voters on your side, you know, and a hundred here and a hundred there and a hundred there. I mean, you're looking just to chip away at Laura Kelly's image or Derek Schmidt's image and, you know, have the, have the, the, you know, it's like, it's the, uh, it's the it's a paradox. It's the the pile paradox where you know you have a million grains of sand and you have a pile, but you can't say which grain gave you the pile. And that's kind of the operating theory here. Which straw breaks the back? Which straw breaks the camel's back? Um, I'm trying to think of some other clever cliches. So you mentioned the the moderates to win over. In my mind, the biggest question is going to be whether the governor can generate enough enthusiasm among Democrats to even even maintain her support from 2018. You know, we we look at somewhere like Sedgwick County in Wichita, which the governor won in 2018 relatively comfortably. And that was, I think, a big part of her success. You know, in order to do well... You know, you need to appeal, I think, to communities of color in yes. Sedgwick County. And if you look at some of her decisions, I think targeted at, at going after the exact voters you, John, were talking about. You know, she signed a bill that bans sanctuary cities and limits the use of municipal ID cards. That frustrated a lot of not just like liberal organizers, but also people in communities of color that I think in the first place we're maybe questioning, you know, how much has this administration really done for me and my family? So I, you know, well, it'll it, be, it'll be interesting to it, see if, if, you know, cause, cause they're not going to go vote for Schmidt, but they might just stay home. Right. That's the issue. I mean, the uh, writer, Barbara Ehrenreich uh, recalling 1968 said, you know, we were all so mad at Hubert Humphrey. He wasn't pure enough. He wasn't uh, he wasn't uh, enough against the Vietnam War, so we stayed home, and then we got Richard Nixon. And, you know, how did that, the implication being, how did that work out for us, uh, us liberals? And um, that will be the question folks face is, if I stay home, do I get somebody who's not, who's much further away from what I want than Laura Kelly? 
Um, you know, we're not we're not really mentioning yet the two two big issues that could come into play here at some point. The first issue, of course, is abortion with the constitutional amendment on the ballot and the debate over that, and if Roe versus Wade is overturned by the U.S. Supreme Court. And the second issue that is possibly going to be out there is gun violence. We just, you know, we just had this horrible mass shooting uh, before Memorial Day in Uvalde, Texas, 19 elementary school kids and two teachers killed. And that has gotten a lot of attention. And does that get more voters who would be inclined to vote for Kelly energized when right now they don't seem to be as energized as conservative Republicans? Or, you know, for example, does it get the NRA members you know, going because there's some talk about gun control. Well, first on abortion, uh, I think that's part of the reason there's national interest in the race. You know, with Texas, Oklahoma, Missouri, abortion bans pending or already in place in those states, Kansas's clinics might be the closest place for many of their women. Eight million people is the the estimate. Uh, And for gun rights, you know, Laura Kelly hasn't particularly targeted guns as a big uh issue that she wants to tackle i mean i she issued i mean she tweeted a photo of her hunting at one point yeah in well and and in a midwestern state like kansas you know with a lot of rural areas and and some pretty conservative places it's problematic to be advocating uh a lot of gun control yeah the gun Gun control or gun safety uh debate would look different for what you could get passed in Kansas than what you could get passed in, say, I don't know, Texas at this point even. Yeah. Uh, the the appetite might not be there yet among many But we, we don't, I mean, we don't know how much appetite there is for elected officials to move on something like raising the age that you can get an AR-15 to 21 to you know a red flag law any of those any of those things we don't know what the appetite is um but certainly in the wake of the uvalde shooting and others i mean just this week there were four people died outside a a tulsa hospital so the the mass shootings have not paused um and so that 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 issue is probably going to be out there as an issue um for you know coming especially toward the fall but you know we'll see we'll see how that plays it's you know at this point before the supreme court issues its decision in the mississippi abortion case that could overturn roe and you know before we hear more commentary in kansas about what's happening elsewhere on on mass shootings it's kind of hard to predict on the thought of appealing to moderates uh you know schmidt Avoided with the filing deadline a official uh, challenge in the primary. I mean, technically, both Kelly and Schmidt have primary challenges from people who stand essentially no chance of winning. But uh, Schmidt doesn't have somebody challenging him from a more moderate position or from a more conservative right. position. There was the the no. Uh, 11th hour Mark Steffen filing to uh, push him. The state senator from Hutchison. Uh, 
so Schmidt is able to straddle the line between the moderate and conservative wings of the party without really having to get nailed down in the primary on where he wants well, to come down on those issues. And it was interesting because when uh, the former governor, Jeff Collier, was in the race before uh, he had uh, to deal with cancer and dropped out, you know, there was a sense that Schmidt was going to get challenged from the right. People were going, Collier and his allies were going to question Schmidt's conservative credentials. I mean, there's always been an element since he's been, well, since his days in the legislature, that he's really not a, a true, quote unquote, conservative. And that, you know, when he goes conservative, it's a, it's a political calculation. Um you know, I guess I guess the question is, if he's been doing arguably conservative things for 10 years, does it matter whether he's a poser? I mean, it, supposedly, at, at, at Wait, the, let's not make a judgment on that. At, but. at the Democratic press conference afterward, I believe it was Senator Tom Holland from uh, Baldwin City who said that he considers Schmidt to be somebody who sticks his finger in the wind to see which way the political winds are blowing. Well, that's that's been the standard criticism of him. I think his people would say he's he's far more solid politically than that. But that is that has been the traditional criticism of Though him. Though I I could also see uh, even Democrats making the same argument about the current governor, uh, with how they don't know how she would well. Go I mean, on an issue privately, with, some yeah. Democrats have. Um, you know, there's, especially on the House side, Laura Kelly served in the Senate before being elected governor, especially on the House side, especially late in the legislative session, there were, there was a lot of grumbling. It's almost like politics is politics. Well, I I mean, that's, you know, that's the interesting dynamic of a statewide race in, in Kansas, that, you know, you do, if you're a Democrat, you do have to appeal to independent voters and Republicans. Uh, Either you have to get them so angry at their nominee that they'll stay home, all of them, or or most of them, or you have to get them to vote for you. Um, And that's, that's just a political fact of life that raises questions about how far left a Democrat can go. And yet, of course, when you're in a primary... (laughs) You know, um, and this is true of both parties. You tend to have to go right to the Republicans, a little more left for the Democrats to appease the activists. For example, you know, this primary in 2018, Josh Foddy, who finished third, had a voting record from the legislature on abortion that was actually, for a Democrat, pretty conservative. And uh, he just... For the abortion rights people, he was just, you know, persona non grata. No. Um, but, you know, can you raise the question of when you take the mass of Kansas voters as a whole, were they much closer to his positions on abortion than they were to, say, Planned Parenthood's? An interesting question. Yes, an interesting question. More of these questions I think we'll be talking through in the oh, – Five months until yes. the general election. Happy, happy, joy, joy. Wait, I'm just waiting for the state fair debate. 
Uh, maybe oh, we'll, that's maybe that's we'll a... come live. Yeah, we should. Uh, that would be fun. Live that's... from the state fair with the new liquor laws. The st- yeah, that that might make it even better. The state fair debate is great. I it's can't just, wait. It's just you know the candidates up on their up on a stage, and their partisans are in the audience booing and cheering and all that and waving signs. John, what do you say? Second week of September, we'll meet Ian Hutch and do a podcast. Yeah, I hope so. Well, until then, you can get all the campaign, every Stop. other, everything else in state government coverage that you want. We got it at the Capitol Journal at cjonline.com or on Facebook. You can go like us or follow us on Twitter at cjonline. And Jason, where can they find you living, working, and raising a family on social media? Uh, on Twitter, you can find me at Jason underscore Tid. That's where I post my stories and the occasional Chihuahua photo. And that's my family. I was going to say. My fiance <laughs> and the Chihuahua. I am at Andrew Ball, B-A-H-L. I don't have any cute dogs, but I'd you, still you, like... you can borrow mine for your campaign ads. <laughs> <laughs> John, where can folks find your work? Well, I'm at, uh, at APJD Hannah, of course, on on Twitter and then uh, www.apnews.com backslash the hand movement, Kansas. And uh, I, you know, I do have a family. My daughter is now 27. She's getting married at the end of August. Woohoo. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, hopefully, not inter- interfering with any campaign coverage. Oh, well, you know, <laughs> doesn't matter. <laughs> I would be at my daughter's wedding, as you should be. Um, and while while you drive to the wedding, you can listen to back episodes of Chillin' in the State House. Indeed, I will probably do that. <laughs> we are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, anywhere you get your podcasts. And that was not all that great a transition, but it was the best I could come up with. <laughs> um, <laughs> we we are words people, but as in written word. <laughs> yes, yes, where you can go back and hit the backspace and try again. Yes, Jason, John. Thank you, gentlemen. Andrew, thank you. (laughs) And we will see you all next week, same time, same place. Have a good one, y'all.